welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Paul came to Derby, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. The Book of Acts, Chapter 16, Verses 1-12, through 12, New International Version Hi! I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author, founder of Crystal Sea Books, and part-time geography student. Today on Anchored by Truth, we want to continue the discussion that we began last time on the historical reliability of the Book of Acts. But, for a bit of added excitement, to start us off in our discussions, We're using some extracts from Crystal C's upcoming audiobook version of one of R.D.'s books, Doors of Destiny, A Choice Orb's Tale. Now, just as an informational note, we'd like listeners to know that even though the audio version of Doors of Destiny hasn't been released, hard copies and ebook versions of Doors of Destiny are available from Amazon or on our website. R.D., why don't you set the scene for the extract that we're going to hear today? Well, just as a reminder to anyone who wasn't able to be with us during our last couple of episodes of Anchored by Truth, Doors of Destiny is an adventure tale about four children all from the same family. There's one brother and three sisters. And they're taking a hike through the woods when they encounter what's called a choice orb. 
And when they encounter this choice orb, the choice orb activates and transports them from this planet to another dimension that's beyond the veil of eternity. So it goes to a place that's outside the normal realm of space and time. And this, of course, is a place where battles are fought, spiritual battles in this case. And the spiritual battles there can control the outcome of entire worlds. Entire worlds can be won or lost based on the outcome of the battles that are being fought there. Well, of course, our four earthly travelers, who are all from the same family, just want to get home. But as part of getting home, they find themselves being drawn into and playing some very important roles in these spiritual battles that are being fought beyond the veil of eternity. So in today's scene, the kids are actually watching a battle unfolding between what are called the true servants and the tainted spirits. Now, obviously, in this scene, the true servants symbolize the holy angels, and the tainted, of course, are the demonic spirits. So this scene is kind of an extended metaphor based on Ephesians 6.12, where we're told that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this group of kids has been transported to those heavenly realms where those spiritual forces of evil are struggling against the forces of good. So you can think of in this scene kind of it being an amplified portrayal of what the struggle would look like in worlds that can only be reached by these choice orbs. Now, in this particular scene, there are several names of true servants, and the names of these true servants are drawn from Scripture for the various functions that we are told that angels perform when they appear in our world. For instance, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says that after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, angels came down to comfort him. So in this scene, one of the true servants is named Comforter. So here is the battle on the near place from Doors of Destiny. As the first wave of tainted spirits plunged downward to assault the true servants, Defender launched himself upward, his great sword drawn in one hand and a gleaming silver shield in the other. He blocked the plunging stream of smaller demons with his shield, and smashed through them like they were a swarm of insects hitting a car's windshield at high speed. A great many of the fetid creatures were crushed, leaving nothing but clouds of black smoke in his wake. A few that survived the first impact swirled around his shield, and these were dispatched by Defender's sword. Defender returned to his place on the ground, but he had no time to rest, for two more streams of small black and green menaces hurled themselves downward. Defender and Firemaster met them. Firemaster hurled bolts of fire that consumed their targets, and the demons he repelled veered sharply to try and avoid him and his fierce bolts. Despite their losses, more and more of the huge cloud of circling pestilence started to make aggressive assaults on the true servants, and the assaults started to include larger and larger of the monstrosities who had emerged from the horrifying black funnel. The looming serpent with the great bear claws issued cries and hisses that apparently were intended to direct the attack. It was only a brief period before all of the true servants were engaged in the fighting in one form or another. Defender fought with his shield and sword, or he transformed his sword to a spear, pike, axe, or club. 
fire master could hurl fire in bolts or create waves of it in patterns that were both awe-inspiring and deadly for their demonic enemies. Scribe used pens similar to the one he had given Donnell, although he wrote in symbols and signs that none of the children could begin to understand. Sometimes the symbols would linger in the air and trap or target specific ones of the malformed hordes. Sometimes the symbols would disappear in flashes of blinding brilliance, consuming any of the evil brood that happened to be close by. Scribe could write with either hand or both simultaneously, and he moved with a speed and precision that should have forced an end to the horrible contest, but did not. Harold spoke mysterious words that had a variety of effects on the enemies he faced. Sometimes his words would result in a screaming enemy going limp, only to be consumed by one of Scribe's symbols or defender's strokes. Sometimes the attacker would reverse course and collide with others behind him. Sometimes the attackers would turn on each other until another hiss would come from the great serpent to snap them out of their mindless self-destruction. Comforter did not participate in the fighting directly, but he ministered to his brother true servants as they needed something. As the fighting continued, the sheer numbers of enemies they were confronting enabled the monsters to score more and more hits, bites, blows, and strikes. Some of the larger monstrosities that were now engaged had weapons of their own, and they used them to some effect. The longer the battle went on, the more Comforter had to attend to one of his brethren, and despite the speed and skill with which he worked, the less he was able to keep up with their needs. Avenger was the most amazing of the true in the confrontation, and the demons made every effort to avoid him. His weapons were mysterious. The children could see bright flashes or quick strokes, but it was unclear to them what devices, if any, he employed. The demons flew away from him whenever he approached, preferring to concentrate on all of the others, especially Comforter. Several times, Avenger had to move with all his considerable speed to knock or slice away desperately seeking claws or teeth, and more than once he had to dispatch the creature who had already afflicted an injury on Comforter. As the battle progressed, despite the valiant and unrelenting efforts of the true, it became apparent that the sheer size of the force they faced would result in their defeat. Wow, there's a lot going on in that scene, and it sounded like the true servant's situation was getting pretty dire. Are they able to win? Well, for anyone who's curious about the outcome of the battle and what happens next, I'd suggest they just pick up a copy of Doors of Destiny for themselves. It's not only a great adventure tale, but one of the things that it was written to do is to help people think about the Bible in slightly different ways. So it's packed with references and biblical allusions. That's A-L-L, not illusions. It's packed with biblical references and allusions that will help people learn more about Scripture and think more about Scripture and think about the role that their faith plays in helping them navigate the real spiritual battles that we all face on this earth. And I think that's an important note. There are a lot of books out there that not only don't help people deepen their faith, but actually take them in the other direction. It's nice to know that it's possible to enjoy a story that is not only entertaining, but also edifying. 
And one of the reasons that Doors of Destiny has that quality is that you made a point to be sure that Doors of Destiny always pointed people back to the scripture as its inspiration. So, shall we proceed on to finishing up with this brief study on the historicity of the Book of Acts? Absolutely. And I think that the key words that you used were brief study. There are literally hundreds of geographical and historical details contained in the Book of Acts. And so you could spend weeks and I guess maybe months studying in order to get all the background behind all of the details that the Book of Acts actually contains. It's great that the book of Acts contains so many details because it gives us lots of opportunities to look and see if Luke got the details right. But there are just too many of those details for us to cover in this relatively brief series. So what we've really been trying to do in our last episode and in this episode is just to take a few examples of some of the illustrations that are contained in the book of Acts and point out how the examples that we're looking at show that the Bible is historically reliable. Now, in the notes that are going to accompany the podcast version of this show, we're putting some links to helpful internet articles that listeners can go and look for themselves and get even greater detail. But again, in this brief series, we're just taking a look at a few examples in the hopes that listeners will get curious about the historical setting and details of the Book of Acts, and then go and do their own investigation and verify for themselves the historical reliability of the book. Well, in our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we looked at some historical details that focused on specific people and government officials. We found out that Luke's accuracy when it came to keeping track of the enormous range of titles used within the Roman governing structure was both precise and impressive. And we found out that Luke's record of the people we examined and his use of titles has been abundantly verified by extra-biblical sources. So, you said that today you wanted to see that Luke was not only careful when reporting about individuals and government officials, but he was equally careful when it came to reporting about geography and culture, right? Right. So to start, let's take a look at Acts chapter 16. Now, we heard a portion of that chapter in our opening scriptures for today, and in that section we listened as we heard Luke reporting on a part of Paul's second missionary journey, which was the first time that he actually went to Greece and preached the gospel. But before visiting Greece, Paul spent some considerable time in regions and cities that today are part of the nation of Turkey. Now, of course, during the Roman period, obviously they used different names for those regions, But it's easy enough to go on to various internet Bible mapping resources, and you can look and still see the relative positions of those places as they were in the time of Luke and Paul. Part of the reason that we're studying this part of Scripture is just to see how careful Luke was with geographical details. Notice that in verse 1 of this section of Scripture, Luke says that he and Paul came to Derbe, and then they went on to Lystra. Now, this is a small detail, but it shows how attentive Luke was to small details. Before Luke and Paul had been traveling towards Derbe and Lystra, Acts chapter 15 says that Paul and Luke had been traveling throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, Syria and Cilicia were regions of the Roman Empire that were to the east of where Derbe and Lystra were located in Turkey. So in traveling from Syria and Cilicia, they would be traveling from east to west. 
and it's pretty easy for anyone to go to an internet Bible source and look up and see the relative location of those cities. I know that one resource you use frequently is BibleHub.com because there are so many Bible sources all located on one website, including a wide selection of maps, and it's free to use. So it's easy to see on the map that Derby is located to the east of Lystra, so it makes perfect sense that Luke would have said they came to Derby first before going on to Lystra. That would have been the natural order for encountering those cities for someone traveling from the east. Exactly. And by looking at a map, you can also see why Luke would have mentioned that not only believers from Lystra spoke well of Timothy, but so did believers from Iconium. Lystra and Iconium are located fairly close together. Lystra is much closer to Iconium than it is, for instance, to Derby. So it would have made sense that the believers from those two communities would have had contact, probably regular contact, with one another. Now, remember that before Paul's visit to Lystra, which is recorded in our scripture today, Acts chapter 16, he had previously made a visit to Lystra that is recorded in Acts chapter 14. Now, on his earlier visit there, he had probably founded the church that he was revisiting when he came in Acts chapter 16. But in the report of his visit in Acts chapter 14, Paul had come to Lystra only after he had previously visited Iconium and he had had some trouble in Iconium. On his earlier visit, his order of travel had been slightly different than on this visit, because on his previous visit, he had gone from Iconium to Lystra. This time, he went to Lystra after he had been to Derby. But remember that all of this is very, very early in the history of the church. So, it's quite likely that in any of the towns we're talking about, whether it was Derby, Lystra, or Iconium, there's probably only one or maybe two groups of believers which would have been relatively small. This is long before the era of large churches where people met in special buildings. They tended to meet in those days in the houses of some believers, hopefully a believer with a fairly large house. But those house churches wouldn't have had the sizes of congregations that we think of today. So it would have been very natural for a relatively small group of believers, say in Lystra, to want to have fellowship and association with the nearest other body of believers, which in their case would probably have been an Iconium. So that makes sense then why Luke would have mentioned that believers in both Iconium and Lystra were commending Timothy to Paul, because those groups probably had regular fellowship with one another. So even though Timothy lived in Lystra, The believers in Iconium probably were also familiar with Timothy and familiar with his family. All that makes perfect sense. And Luke's record of geographic accuracy in Acts 16 is further confirmed when Luke talks about provinces in addition to cities. In the section we heard Luke mention six different Roman provinces that would all be in modern-day Turkey. Phrygia, Galatia, Asia, Mysia, Bithynia, and Troas. And as Luke records their travels, Luke's description again makes perfect sense, correct? Yes. Notice that the scripture says that the Holy Spirit kept Paul and his companions out of Asia. Now, when the Bible is using the word Asia, it's referring to Asia as the Roman Asia, which was not the continent that we think about today. Asia, in the Roman times, was basically a large province in central Turkey. It was sort of a supersized province that also included within it some of the smaller provinces that surrounded it. 
So it makes sense that Paul would have tried to enter it after preaching in Phrygia and Galatia because the province of Asia would have been directly to the west of those two provinces. But when the Holy Spirit kept them out of Asia, kept them from going directly west, apparently Paul and his companions decided to basically go north in order to go around Asia, and by going north they wound up in Mysia. And of course, when they wound up in Mysia, they apparently decided that they wanted to go even farther north, and that would have taken them into Bithynia. But the scripture says that the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going into Bithynia when they came to the border of Mysia. Now, I realize that for people who are listening, a lot of these names are very strange, and especially when you just sort of hear them without having a map in front of you, it's hard to keep them oriented. So I really would recommend that listeners go to that part of the scripture and then go and look at the map for themselves and they can verify not only what we're describing in today's episode of Anchored by Truth, but they can also verify the logic that was directing Paul and his companions as they were making their travels on this missionary journey. Again, Luke's description is completely consistent with the layout of the Roman provinces within Turkey and makes common sense when you think about travelers who have to go just about everywhere on foot. So when, as Luke puts it, the Spirit of Jesus told them not to continue heading north, it would make sense for them to resume their travels by going further west. After all, they had just spent time in the east strengthening the churches there, and Paul's passion was to take the gospel to places where it had never yet been heard. That's exactly what they did, winding up in Troas, which is right on the Turkish coast and relatively short boat ride over to Greece. While in Troas, Paul got his vision to take the boat ride and cross over to Greece. Their first stop in the trip was Samothrace, which is an island about halfway between Turkey and Greece. And it makes very good sense that they would have stopped in Samothrace because it's easy to navigate to there. Despite the fact that Samothrace is an island of relatively small size, there is a 5,000-foot high mountain on the island, so that makes it an easy landmark for sailors to use for navigation. And if you look at a map, again, from Samothrace, it's a straight shot over to Neapolis, which is on the eastern coast of Greece, and in the first century AD, Neapolis served as the seaport for Philippi, which was, as the scripture said, the important Roman city in that particular Roman colony. Now, the fact that Neapolis functioned as the seaport for Philippi has been confirmed by extra-biblical sources, by manuscripts and coins from that era. So again, the point is that Luke is just naturally, and correctly, I might add, recording their travels as they were crossing from the eastern part of Turkey around Asia because the Holy Spirit had told them don't preach in Asia where eventually they would wind up in Greece. So we can conclude from the description of their travels that they've given us that what the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus were trying to do was to get Paul, uh, Silas, and his traveling companions over to Greece to start some churches in the nation of Greece. Now, it's kind of interesting that obviously it was the will of the Lord for Paul and Silas and Luke to wind up in Greece and ultimately in Philippi, but actually Paul and Silas got into a bit of trouble in Philippi because Paul actually cast a demonic spirit out of a young girl who had been following them around, but when Paul cast that demonic spirit out of that young girl, he basically destroyed her fortune teller abilities And there had been a couple of men in Philippi who had been exploiting the fortune-telling abilities that the demonic spirit had provided to the girl. 
And so when Paul cast the demonic spirit out of the girl, he basically destroyed the livelihood of the men who had been exploiting her. So Paul and Silas got into trouble with local authorities because he had interrupted the livelihood of these people who had been exploiting the girl. And that trouble landed them in jail. But again, Luke even gets the details of the Roman jails right. Luke writes that Paul and Silas were put into stocks in the inner part of the jail, which is exactly how jails of that era were built. But Paul's imprisonment also produced one of the most remarkable conversion experiences recorded in the New Testament. In the middle of the night, God had an earthquake shake the jail which opened the doors. When the jailer realized what had happened, he was about to kill himself because in the Roman world, a jailer who allowed prisoners to escape would have been subject to severe punishment and in some cases death. But Paul prevented the suicide by telling the jailer that none of the prisoners had fled. The jailer was so grateful, he released Paul and Silas from the stocks, took them to his house, dressed their wounds, and fed them. One of the most prominent archaeologists of the 20th century, Sir William Ramsey, once wrote, quote, I had read a good deal of modern criticism about the book and dutifully accepted the current opinion that it was written during the second half of the second century by an author who wished to influence the minds of people in his own time by a highly wrought and imaginative description of the early church, unquote. But after Ramsey had conducted decades of his own on-site investigation, Ramsey concluded, quote, The present writer takes the view that Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect to its trustworthiness, unquote. That's a great illustration of how we should all approach the study of Scripture. Ramsey started out as a skeptic, but after doing his own research, he came to the realization that Luke was a reliable reporter of history. We would add that the same thing is true of all of the writers who gave us the inspired record we call the Bible. Well, in the last few episodes of Anchored by Truth, which we've entitled The Facts in Acts, we're taking a look at how Luke was consistently accurate in his observations about people, positions, and titles, geography, and local customs. But since we're approaching Thanksgiving and Christmas, next week we're going to begin a new series that focuses on the central figure of the Bible, Jesus. Particularly, what history and evidence can tell us about his birth and the world in which he conducted his earthly ministry. So, this sounds like it's a great time to have a prayer. Since we're now well into the school year, we know that a lot of people are either helping their children prepare for tests or preparing for themselves. So today, let's listen to a prayer that is useful before taking a test. Prayer Before Taking a Test Heavenly Father, you have been so good and kind to me. I praise your name because you are worthy to be praised. You rule the universe, yet you love us so much that you care about the parts of even our daily lives that trouble us. Thank you for being a merciful Father who carries our burdens. Lord, you know I have a test coming that has been weighing on my heart. I know that tests are a part of learning and education. You know so well that tests can be very difficult for some of your children, including me. Lord, 
I pray that you would help me with this test. I pray you would help me to prepare effectively for the test. Help me to take advantage of all the books, study aids, and guides that I can find. Direct me to my fellow students, teachers, or friends who have an understanding in this area and who can assist me. Please defeat any tendencies I have towards discouragement or fear because these are the tools of the enemy. When I am in the test, please send the Holy Spirit to bring to my mind all that I have learned. Keep me calm and help me to focus on simply doing my best. My joy and hope are in Jesus. I pray and give thanks in His precious name. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all those episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. Also, we'd like to remind listeners that even though the audio version of Doors of Destiny hasn't been released, hard copies and ebook copies of the book Doors of Destiny are already available from Amazon or on our website. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalcbooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.